Talk Radio Breakfast with Mike Graham. In for Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Know your times. Good morning, it's Wednesday the 19th of February. You're listening to Breakfast with Mike Graham, standing in for Julia Hartley Brewer on Talk Radio. Coming up, the government has said that changes to the UK's immigration system will not include a visa option for low-skilled migrant workers after Brexit, and employers will need to adjust. In the next 15 minutes, I'll be joined by the Home Secretary, Priti Patel. So if you've got any messages that you want me to pass on to her or any questions that you want me to ask her, by all means, text them in to me at 87222, or of course, you can tweet them at Talk Radio. Also, there are more concerns about flooding from Storm Dennis as towns in the River Seven are worried that their flood barriers will not hold back the water. Uh, more on this coming next. And the new Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, will deliver his first budget on the 11th of March. I'll speak to Labour's Shadow Chief Secretary to the Treasury, Peter Dowd. Plus, I'll be joined later by legendary music producer Steve Lillywhite to talk about last night's Brit Awards, which didn't disappoint for woke comments, including, of course, Dave, uh, who won several awards uh, and who sung about Boris Johnson being racist. Plus, I'll be talking about the Queen banning Harry and Meghan from using the Sussex Royal brand, which I'm pretty, pretty sure is going to upset Meghan Markle more uh, than you could uh, possibly imagine. Uh, it is, of course, coming up to just about six minutes past eight, uh, and it is Talk Radio with me, Mike Graham. Talk Radio Breakfast with Mike Graham. In for Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Be well informed. I'm in the company this morning, Benjamin Butterworth, journalist at the iPaper, and Tom Slater, deputy editor of Spiked Online. We've been talking about Meghan and uh, Harry, and we've been talking a lot about the immigration story, and of course the Brits as well. We'll come back to all of that. Let's talk for right now, though, uh, about what's been going on uh, out there in the shires, where there's been a terrible uh, lot of flooding going on, particularly in Wales, uh, and now there are fears for some towns around the River Severn, uh, because there's likely to be more rain falling over the course of the next 48 hours or so. Let's talk to... Uh, Daniel Kauczynski, who is the Conservative MP for Shrewsbury, which has seen the worst floods in the area for 20 years. Daniel, a very good morning to you. Good morning. It's a terrible, uh, terrible blight on, on anybody's situation, isn't it, to have the water that uh, that comes into your house and, and doesn't leave, even if it's only there for, for a day or so. It ruins everything. It causes problems for insurance. Um, Shrewsbury has been particularly badly hit uh, this time around, as has Worcester. Um, what's the situation at the moment? Well, I'm talking to you from my home in Shrewsbury, obviously surrounded by water uh, here. Uh, the local council and the environment agency are doing a very good job in trying to clear up some of the roads, but uh, there is still a huge amount of water. Mm. Uh, and the sheer speed and velocity with which it's flowing through the River Severn uh, is obviously g giving cause for concern because more bad weather is is pro predicted for, for the rest of the week sure. and, uh, and the week after. And the sheer volume of, of water going through some of the rivers uh, from where you are down to sort of South Wales, the River Usk as well, is, is, is a problem. I mean, it's difficult to know what you can actually do because you can't really fight the elements, can you? Well, you can, and uh, actually now um, that we've left the European Union, we will be in complete control of our agricultural policy, and we will be able to pay farmers uh, in future for being able to flood their land. Um, I have had inquiries from some of my farmers here in Shropshire actually asking what sort of uh, future uh, options there will be for uh, actually diverting water away from the Severn. There are 17 constituencies along the River Severn, hundreds of thousands of businesses and properties that have been badly affected over decades. 
We now need to start looking at the River Severn holistically. How do we manage this huge river? Rather than individual small defences and piecemeal reaction to ongoing crises, Mm. we need to look at the whole river holistically and say, where are there sections of this river where vast quantities of water can be diverted where we can pay farmers to actually hold on to that water and use their land as reservoirs rather than just pushing the problem further down the river mm. and affecting other communities further downstream. Some of the stories that I've seen in the last few days have pointed to many um, sort of EU restrictions, if you like, on, on dredging, uh, on, on, on sort of uh, entering into areas where wildlife might be. Will you be able to sort of outlaw those now? Well, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be, we have a very exciting scheme here in Shrewsbury, which is part of a new road building program where we hope to turn a section of it into a a dam to help to manage uh, the river in a more effective way. Of course, there will be a huge amount of public consultation, consultation with the farmers. This has to be done uh, with the uh, consent of uh, not just local farmers, but the local community as to how this water is managed. But undoubtedly, the fact that we are now in control of uh, British standards and British agricultural policy and all the rest of it for the first time in my lifetime because we joined the EEC on the day I was born in January 1972 we now for the first time ever have the opportunity to make these decisions for ourselves which I think is going to be extraordinarily beneficial. Absolutely right and what do you say to those people who say you know why doesn't the Prime Minister come out and and travel around some of these communities and and, and actually look as if he cares because he hasn't really said much in Downing Street he sent his his minister out I'm by the way not one of those who thinks that that really matters but but are you hearing from people out uh, on the streets that they'd rather like to see Boris? Well, I think everybody wants to see. I mean, uh, the reason I was in London, the reason I came straight back to Shrewsbury is because obviously I think, you know, if you represent a constituency like mine that's been badly affected, you need to be here. You need to have your wellies on. You need to be meeting with residents who have been adversely affected. You need to show your face. Of course you do. But of course, I don't know what the prime minister's schedule is. He has a huge amount of responsibility and uh, juggling a, a huge number of balls in the air at any one time. I wouldn't want to be saying anything uh, detrimental about the prime minister. What I do know is that he's a very committed, hard-working man, and I have every confidence that he will be getting to grips with this issue over the coming years. And as far as the amounts of money being pledged to sort of make sure that flood defences are, are, are improved upon, how quickly can that happen? Because obviously, you know, we are probably now looking at another month or two uh, of, of a bit of flooding, but, but then there'll be, there'll be nothing really to worry about, I suppose, for, for, for a few months. So how confident are you that, that something can change between now, say, for example, and, and the autumn? Well, we will have to, first of all, when Parliament is recalled on the 24th of uh, February, uh, I'm writing to other Shire, Tory county MPs like myself, we have to form a caucus to lobby the Chancellor on this issue. Um, all these constituencies, rural shire counties that have been affected, we've got to bowl in there together and collectively explain to the chance to look, if you can find £120 billion for HS2 and you can find an extra £5 billion for buses, you're going to have to find extra money for flood defences. This is an issue which so adversely impacts on our constituencies, yes. not just during the flood. I'm, I'm in correspondence with companies in Shrewsbury who show me their books, um, the takings for their cafes or restaurants or, or retail outlets, the week and two weeks after a flood. 
because of course the media are very good at reporting that Thrasebury's been flooded, but there's very little media reports when everything has receded <laughs> and right. we're up and running. Mm. And the takings are still massively down week two, week three. And so the long-term impact on businesses and communities like mine is absolutely devastating. And of course, logically speaking, you would have thought that the Chancellor would realize that he will receive less VAT and all the rest of it, taxation, as a result of these ongoing more frequent floods which are affecting more communities across the whole of the United Kingdom. Yes, of course. And, and since you're pronouncing it Shrewsbury, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask you the, the, the eternal question because every time I ask anyone this question, I get a different answer. The well, Shrews is supposedly the nickname for Shrewsbury <laughs> Town. So therefore, I've, I've, I've adopted Shrewsbury, but well, you're calling I, it Shrewsbury. I think it's six of one and half a dozen <laughs> of the other. We're, we're very unusual in the sense that half the community calls it Shrewsbury, yeah. as I do, and the other half calls it Shrewsbury. And right. uh, never the twain shall meet. We all have our own ways of calling it, but it's the most... It, we, we have more listed buildings than any other town in England. Um, Charles Darwin was born here. We're a very historic, beautiful town, and I would urge your listeners to come and visit Shrewsbury this summer when we're um, in full swing. Well, you won't our, need a boat. Well, we, we have actually, I think, England's second largest flower show in okay. August after Chelsea. And we have had many, many very interesting things to do here in, in beautiful Shrewsbury. So, yeah, please, please come and visit us. OK. Thank you very much indeed. Daniel Kauczynski there uh, telling us that you can pronounce it Shrewsbury if you wish, or Shrewsbury. It's one of those great British things, isn't it, that people pronounce things in different ways. Do you call it Shrewsbury, Benjamin, or Shrewsbury? Uh, Have you it, been there? Uh, no, but my, my next-door neighbours went to the boarding school, which was... <laughs> they called Shrewsbury, yeah. not Shrewsbury. Well, this is the thing. I mean, I've always adopted it as Shrewsbury on the basis that the, the, the local football team uh, has, an, has a nickname of, of the Shrews, mm. you know, so clearly that would suggest that it's Shrewsbury. It's interesting to hear that there's debate on this even within Shrewsbury itself. Yes. You pronounce it that way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I mean, the people that live there can't agree. I mean, it's a very, I think it's a brilliantly British thing that, you know, the people who live in a place can't decide how to pronounce it. I think that's perfect. Absolutely I think, brilliant. I think we need a referendum at this point. That, well, yeah. absolutely. But, all, but yeah. can you vote in the Shrewsbury referendum if you're not from Shrewsbury? Mm, probably see, not. It starts to get tricky. Let's ask Jolien Moron and we'll ask to see whether he's <laughs> finished beating up any foxes. Anyway, listen, that's enough of that. We're going to talk to Pretty Patel coming up very shortly. The Home Secretary is going to join us uh, on the Immigration Revolution, as it's being called by the Daily Mail. Coming up very shortly, we're going to be talking to Priti Patel, the Home Secretary, about uh, her new immigration revolution, as it's being called in the Daily Mail. Uh, but we'll also be asking her about one or two other things as well, including a story on the front page of The Times today, fears over jihadist attacks in jail. There's been another uh, attack in a prison uh, whereby a convicted killer with no history of extremism launched a copycat jihadist attack on jail staff last week. Uh, apparently the details have only just emerged, basically, about two people in... Uh, this is after after the terrorist uh, released early from his sentence stabbed two people in Streatham uh, in South London. Security sources said that Number 10 had called for a deep dive into jail radicalisation. I'm with Benjamin Butterworth from the iPaper and Tom Slater, Deputy Editor of Spikes Online. This is a big problem, Benjamin, isn't it? Because we haven't actually heard, I'm going to ask Pretty Patel when she comes on, what the situation is with um, certain radicalised uh, extremists who are due to be released. I think one is due to be released on February the 28th mm. um, and the government supposedly is going to rush through legislation to stop that from happening. Because I think 
for the government. If another uh, prisoner is released uh, early and then commits another terrorist attack, there's going to be a massive problem for them. Yeah, exactly. And it, I think it does seem that the original policy, which was brought in by a, a previous Conservative government, was wrong because this had happened repeatedly. And clearly, if you're letting somebody out who is a terrorist, who is an extremist, then the problem with that, unlike any other type of crime, basically, is that it, it's in their minds. And so clearly there should be they shouldn't be automatically let out at half time. No. Because you have to make a proper assessment about whether you believe that person has yeah. changed their mind in any way. And it's dangerous to just let them out. I think so. And Tom, I mean, one of the problems I think here is, and I've said this many times, is that we shouldn't really be treating these jihadists mm. or these terrorists as if they are ordinary, regular criminals. Yeah. Because, you know, they're not stealing people's cars. They're not, you know, robbing your house. They are, you know, ideologically against the Western world. No, you're completely right. It's entirely different. And I think that should really kind of should impact upon how we discuss rehabilitation because these are not people who, you know, just grew up on the wrong side of the tracks and ended up making a few right. mistakes. These are people who genuinely loathe the society around them, think it's justified and actually morally good to kill people, innocent people. The idea that you should treat those people in exactly the same mm. way, I think is ridiculous. I think the one thing the time story points to, which is one thing that doesn't get talked about enough, is also how much the prison system has become a kind of, forget de-radicalisation, it actually seems to be radicalising yeah. people and as well and actually a lot of the reporting coming out of Streatham there was an interesting case of someone who was in prison who even talked about having to adopt a kind of jihadi persona as a Muslim just to get by yes. within certain areas that's something that needs to be looked at yeah, as well Yeah I think I you're think. absolutely right Well let's talk to uh, somebody who can possibly do something about all of that Priti Patel the Home Secretary uh, Priti Patel thank you very much for joining us welcome to, uh, to breakfast um, I know you've been busy this morning talking about the immigration revolution as it's being called uh, on the front page of the Daily Mail a lot of people asking me this question this morning because I've been asking them what I would, what, what they would like to ask you. Is this going to be the first time, really, that we've seen a proper immigration policy being brought in by a Tory government which will actually work and will not, in fact, not do what it says on the tip? Well, this, has, this will now be, for the first time in decades, um, the British government will be in control of its own immigration policy and its own immigration system. That is a really big deal. We've not had this in decades because of our membership of the European Union. So we are creating our own single global immigration system that basically will treat EU and non-EU migrant citizens equally. Um, by ending free movement, we are moving away from all those EU laws, systems and um, regulations that have determined our approach to immigration and therefore introducing a points-based system which will do what it says on the tin. It's going to prioritise the skills that our economy and our country needs bringing in the brightest and the best from around the world to support the needs of the UK economy. And importantly, this system will mark the end of the over-reliance on low-skilled workers and we will bring overall migration numbers down. Will you be putting pressure on British companies, though, who have used in the past low-skilled workers, particularly from the EU? Um, because you're now more or less saying to them, you're going to have to employ local people, British people, but you're going to have to pay them more money. Well, that is part of the government's agenda, absolutely, in terms of levelling up, in terms of skills, but also our economy across the United Kingdom. The focus has been for far too long on London and the South East and, upon, and in, on some of our great cities. And, of course, there are many parts of the country, I've visited so many in the last few years, that have been left behind. We need businesses to invest in people and in their skills and to join our mission to level up on skills and economic growth so that we can deliver a high-skill, high-wage and highly productive 
productive economy. And that means effectively businesses investing in people that are economically inactive right now to get them basically into employment around the whole of the country and stop being so reliant on low-cost, low-skilled workers from the EU. One of the big problems that people talk to me about a lot is the illegal immigrants who have come to this country and who continue to remain here and continue to live here for one reason or another. Up to now, nobody's really been able to say how many people are here illegally. Do you have a number now? Do you know how many people are here uh, as illegal immigrants? Well, this is the challenge. So under our new system, this will be a phase system, by the way. So in due course, we will be able to use data and biometrics to count people in and count people out. Um, that is something that we have not been able to do at all. And of course, this goes back to free movement. Um, it comes back to, you know, no, no controls effectively. And this is the point that we're trying to emphasise right now we want control of our borders there are many things that we're going to be doing in terms of you know making our borders much more secure we're going to be introducing new criminal checks and new criminal thresholds these are really important measures a to protect the british public but to ensure that we are getting into our country allowing into our brilliant country the right people for the right reasons and what will you be able to do to stop people coming in on these sort of uh, you know dinghies effectively from from france you know people who quite yes. often originate in places like libya and iran and Iraq perhaps, but who come here knowing that if they do manage to get anywhere near Dover, they'll be picked up, they'll be brought here and they'll be given somewhere to live. So this is very, that is a very separate issue to the points-based system and, and that is effectively what we're speaking about, illegal migration. Yeah. We do have a great deal of work, in fact, a lot of work taking place on this. We're now working in conjunction not just with the French authorities but with the Belgium authorities and other European countries because this is upstream migration. You've just said they're coming from Libya, they're coming from outside of Europe and there's a lot of facilitation through criminal gangs and organised crime gangs that are bas that's basically taking place. So we've got huge policing operations and we're having to absolutely now resort to policing operations um, a lot more in terms of um, organised gang and NCA activity to go into the local areas to break up gangs we've got intercepts taking place, we've got activities with drones. But the problem is from our perspective, once people are in the water they're prepared to chance it yeah. and these people are being trafficked they're being abused and you know that is what we're trying to break up we're trying to break up the networks and the gangs from even getting to people and then put them in the water because you're right once they come here they can effectively they don't always but they can effectively end up in our asylum system seeking to claim asylum and then of course they're in that whole process where for a range of reasons immigration bail asylum claims they could end up legitimately claiming asylum and we want to do much more. We are doing much more. We've got a much bigger approach now in terms of cracking down on illegal migration. Okay. And the other big issue that people talk about, of course, a lot, and we are now looking at a sort of a, a time-sensitive scenario where I believe there's likely to be some uh, prisoners possibly released by the end of this month who have been previously um, locked up for extremist activity. We've also got a story this morning in the Times uh, about Winchester Jail, uh, where an inmate has been radicalised. He's been more or less forced into uh, some kind of Sharia court scenario. Uh, he's attacked some prison officers. It's a big problem, um, the, the, the Islamic extremists uh, in prisons in this country and, and the early release of them.
Well, first of all, you'll be aware last week we um, brought through the House of Commons, it's already passed through the House of Commons stages, emergency legislation, so that no terrorist offender can automatically be released from prison, um, you know, early in their sentence. And the laws, the changes that we will bring in basically will apply to individuals in prison that are terrorist offenders. So they have to go through a probation, um, a proper parole panel and have scrutiny. But the fact of the matter is these individuals are in prison for a reason. They are a danger and they are a threat to society and to the public. And we do need to keep them in prison. We cannot have them automatically released. And in terms of Winchester Prison, obviously there'll be an investigation and an inquiry that will take place. It is appalling to see you know, yet another prison officer, an individual on the front line being attacked um, and being put in such risk. I mean, these individuals do very difficult jobs. And of course, you know, we're, we're providing a lot of work and support to give support and protection to prison officers. But at the end of the day, these individuals are, they're dangerous. Um, they've got a lot of dangerous intent. And so our job is to absolutely keep the public safe and keep them in prison. Indeed. I don't know if you were up uh, late last night because, of course, you were probably up very early this morning talking to a lot of people. I don't know if you saw the Brits, uh, but Dave, who won uh, a couple of awards, uh, one of the, uh, the stars of uh, stage and screen in the music business, uh, declared Boris Johnson to be a racist. Uh, what's your view of that? So you will not be surprised. I did not watch the Brits last night. <laughs> I, chose to go, I chose to go to bed early because yeah. I had to get up pretty early. Um, look, um, I appreciate Dave is well known. He's a rapper, he's a popular artist, but his comments about Boris Johnson, our Prime Minister, are totally, totally inaccurate. I've known our Prime Minister for a long time. I've worked with him for a long time, and he absolutely is not a racist. I agree with that entirely. Pretty Patel, thank you very much indeed. Pretty Patel, their Home Secretary, telling us about the revolution uh, that is underway in terms of the immigration uh, changes to the rules that we are now going to have in this country. We want to know what you think of that. 0344 499 1000, of course, is the number. Benjamin Butterworth here with me, Tom Slater as well. Uh, guys, your reaction to uh, what Pretty Patel said? I think she seems determined to make this change work. Yeah, um, she seems determined. I'm not sure she she shed huge light on some of the complexities of it, though maybe she's unlikely It to. is a very complex situation, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, she gave a, a defence of her policy and she talks about the fact that they were going to try and stop the separate issue of people coming into the country. Um, I, I, think, I think the questions remain about the points-based system and I think that truthfully she's she's not going to admit the flaws i think we might have to wait and see what happens mm. tom well i thought it was interesting as well how the emphasis she put on there was again on the question of low skill you know because i think the one thing that Priti patel the reason she's quite um, useful for the government to remain in post as well is that she does have this reputation being quite hardline on immigration wanting to bring numbers down etc but it does seem like um what's kind of happening under the surface is the question of numbers is slightly more vague but the question of kind of what type of immigration mm. is very much quite clear cut but as we say there's going to be so many complexities of this which are already being raised, so many more are going to kind of come out of the weeds as, does, as these kind of policy debates continue on. And I think a lot of that kind of clear questions about what it is this is setting out to achieve. Is it a kind of liberal points-based immigration system? Is it supposed to be more restrictionist? All that will have to yes. remain to be I think if they are able to and they're going to get to grips with the kind of counting in and counting out thing, that will be very welcomed by most of the people in this country because I think one of the things that people worry about is that there has been no real checks and balances going on, that there has been no real uh, idea 
um, of quite how many people have come to this country illegally or who have come to this country and stayed illegally when they, when they should have uh, been leaving. So without knowing that, that number... I think that creates a big problem for uh, you know for the public confidence. It does, and sim quite simply for public services. You know, you need to know how many people are here and what needs they have in mm. order for a country to function. But the thing is that she said we should rely on on the technology that's being developed that will be in place, and that's never very reassuring because there's a pretty bad track record on these things working or being reliable mm. or being on time or being cost efficient. And so I think that might be a big problem in her inbox to make sure that, that those systems work as we would expect them to. Indeed. We'd like to hear from uh, all of you, of course. We are going to take your calls on this. 0344 Do you believe that Priti Patel's new uh, revolution of immigration and the point system will actually work? Uh, and what do you think uh, it will change about this country? Uh, coming up, we've got Peter Dowd, Labour's Shadow Chief Secretary to the Treasury, talking about the new uh, budget, which is likely to come out now on the 11th of March with Rishi Sunak. Across the UK, online on DAB and on your smart speaker. Talk Radio. Let's talk some more about the immigration revolution, as it's called, on the front page of the Daily Mail. Uh, we're going to join, uh, be joined now by uh, Benjamin Lochnane, who's a Migration Watch researcher. Benjamin, very good morning to you. Welcome. Morning. Thanks very much for joining us. Um, I've got a couple of questions about how this is going to work. It's going to be kicked in around about uh, the beginning of 2021, we understand. Um, how is it going to affect businesses that employ many low-skilled workers from overseas? Uh, well, the, the thing is uh, about this new system that they want to put in is effectively reducing the dependence on low-skilled workers and increasing the influx of high-skilled workers mm. who are earning more, more able to pay into tax and not taking out so much. Um, it, the logic behind it is, of course, that at the moment when you have a high flow of low-skilled workers, uh, you, you have a lot of people coming in and a lot of people who are drawing a lot of tax-funded services but not necessarily paying much in. Right. But, but the, of course, the, yeah. <laughs> no, I was going to say, but the problem is not so much for whether or not that's a good thing, which many people I'm sure would agree that it is. The problem for me is that businesses in this country who employ lots of people from overseas who are paid less money uh, because apparently you cannot get British people to do those jobs. How are those jobs going to be filled? Well, as the recent uh, Mac report said, uh, this unending sort of flow of uh, cheap labour actually suppresses wages, it drives it down. So you, you've got a situation where you've got a, a vicious circle, so to speak, mm. of people coming in to do these low-paid jobs, which then continues to suppress the wages. But if you ended that flow, then naturally the, the wages would increase those jobs and I think you'd get more British people able to do them. Well, you might do, but presumably uh, the, the idea the government's got is to drive the wages of those jobs up which will mean that it will cost more money to the companies who will have to employ British people and pay them more, which will impact on their ability to make money. Well, it's not only um, employing British people. There's also uh, the report talks a lot about automation. So uh, businesses adapting to certain things where they can automate parts of the job where they're still relying on cheap labour because it's cheap to do that than to automate. But in the long term, it would be more cost effective to automate certain processes. So there are other ways. It's not only about paying more to British Well, there may be, and that all sounds very well in theory, but what about something like fruit picking, which is not an automated business? It's a business where you literally have human beings walking up and down fields and picking fruit. There isn't really any way to automate that. Well, actually, the, the system introduced by the government today uh, allows a provision for fruit pickers and uh, the uh, seasonal agriculture workers, but, but which, again, is slightly baffling in the sense that on the one hand, it's saying they don't want any low-skilled workers, but then the skills list uh, accommodates for a certain number of what would be traditionally known as low-skilled jobs. Mm. 
but just call some skilled work. So there is a, a degree of uh, confusion in this. Yeah, there is. And also, one of the things that people worry about as well when it comes to migration is illegal migration that we have uh, a problem with in this country. And we're still seeing people coming across uh, the English Channel on boats, coming to this country from places like um, Iran, maybe Libya, having come all the way through Europe under the, uh, the sort of the Schengen Agreement and finding their way to Britain and then being given um, um, sort of sucker and solace here. Yeah, well, it really comes down to enforcement. Um, and this is, again, the problem of the report. You can promise all you want on, you know, uh, delivering on, I think it says at the beginning of the report, uh, fulfilling your commitment to the British public and taking back control of our borders. But if you can't enforce that, if you can't put it into practice, then really it's all bluster, isn't it? Mm. So, and we've seen this with illegal immigration over the past, um, you know, a few decades. Uh, it, it seems to just be increasing year on year. And, you know, at the same time, we're closing detention centres, uh, cutting funding to our, our border force. Um, we actually have border forces too scared and reticent to, um, to, 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 the, to do their jobs because of the amount of media scrutiny there is around it. Uh, but not just that, but a, a lack of support from the Home Office. Um, so, you know, at the moment, it's only getting worse. And also, we're not demanding enough from the French. Um, we're not demanding that they... they don't allow people to go into the channel where they, you know, make these very perilous crossings, very often die or, or end up in um, situations where they need to be rescued. And then there are problems once yeah. we've... Well, yeah. <laughs> and then, and they're not returned to from whence they came on the grounds that, you know, that wouldn't be fair. So basically, uh, the message that we send to people is if you manage to get yourself into a dinghy and if you manage to get yourself into Dover, uh, basically you'll, you'll, be, you'll be looked after. Yeah, just get in the channel and then we'll... Yeah the rest for you. And surely yeah. that's what Pretty Patel should be addressing as well. I know it's a relatively small number of people, but nevertheless, it's one of those things that people in this country worry about. Well, absolutely, and it's, it's enormously important. I believe the, uh, the recent report on immigration by Pew, uh, illegal immigration, said that the illegal population in the UK is almost as high as the legal population yeah. of immigrants. So we've got a situation where, you know, uh, illegal immigration is as big of a problem, if not a bigger problem. Well, I've got Pretty Patel coming on the show later on. Uh, if you had a question that you could ask her, what would you ask her? I would ask her how it is that she's going to deliver for the Red Wall voters, the Workington man and the working class who did not vote for more of the same immigration, and how are they going to keep those voters with uh, policies at the moment which seem to be all about, you know, talk and not about actually doing anything. Because in, <clears throat> because in some of those northern cities and northern towns who feel as if they've had the, the brunt of the impact of immigration in this country, that's, you know, they, they, their, their landscape isn't going to change very much, is it? No, uh, and it's, um, it's one of those real letdowns, I think, uh, from the government that they win this enormous sort of big stonking majority on the back of talking up, you know, talking tough on immigration and Brexit and all these sorts of things. And then they couldn't make policies which are almost just advertising campaigns. You know, uh, you've got a report which talks stuff but doesn't actually deliver anything. Mm. It talks about a salary threshold, but then the salary threshold is completely ineffective because the logic behind the salary threshold is that net contribution to the economy. And that begins at about 30,000. So what's the point in the salary threshold? 10,000 below that. Yeah. You know, when you've got 20,480, well, why have one at all? You know, and the same with the point system. When the points are based on sort of any sort of arbitrary thing, and you have uh, the ability to trade points, or if you don't meet the points well, you can come in under the salary, a higher salary threshold. I mean, it just seems to be a case of, uh, you know, if you have anything, you can come in. Just tick some boxes very arbitrarily, and you can come in. It's just about giving the impression 
of doing something to lower immigration. Benjamin Lockland, thanks very much indeed. Uh, Benjamin from Migration Watch there. I'm with Benjamin Butterworth and Tom Slater here. Tom, is there any change that's likely to sort of be affected here? Because um, I suppose if you were to follow um, Benjamin's logic there, he's saying mm. Workington Man, some of the northern cities mm. of this country where immigration has been a massive factor... Is it going to look any different, effectively, halfway through 2021 or not? Well, I think the thing that's probably going to look different is the type of immigration, as we were talking about a little bit earlier, insofar as it's quite clear that there's been more of a focus put on um, high-skilled um, labour coming in rather than low-skilled labour coming in. And I think it's also important to mention that there obviously is a mood in the country that wants to see migration mm. being taken control of and for numbers to come down to some extent. But it's also worth pointing out that ever since the Brexit referendum, actually the salience of immigration as an issue in terms of public opinion polls has gone way down. People's actually how positive they are about immigration has gone way up. Because I think, broadly speaking, one of the things that inflamed it as an issue was the fact that people felt they had no control over it whatsoever. So I think there is actually room for a government to effectively try and kind of guide that at the moment and say, look, immigration is going to come down to some extent, but we're just going to change it in the ways that you feel most mm. affects you. I don't think it, Brexit necessarily mandates the kind of restrictionism that some people want to ascribe to it. Nevertheless, I think all of these questions are incredibly valid and it's also worth talking about in terms of those kind of voters in those cities, whether, the, whether or not they'll feel that um, their lives have, have changed as a result of these policies. I think that will be a kind of key Because so much of it space. is about perception, Benjamin. I mean, mm. we've had the government after government, haven't we, who've said we're going to get to grips with immigration. They never really have. Well, I think one of the reasons they haven't lowered immigration is because they know full well that it's necessary, at least in our current economy, for us to function in lots of sectors with levels of low-skilled immigration. I think the question that the Migra Migration Watch researcher put about will it look different to, to uh, red wall mm. voters, well, I think that's interesting because actually... Low-skilled workers are often the most conspicuous to people who might be competing for those sorts of jobs. Yes. You know, not that it's a low skill by any means, but at a sector that's affected is is building. And my dad's a builder, mm. and so he supported Brexit because he was annoyed at people coming from EU countries and undercutting him. Now, that was a question, another way of enforcing minimum wages and proper costs. But that is far more conspicuous to him than mm. you know a doctor coming over mm. here, yes. for example. But then on the point of getting ten points for a PhD. I mean, that just seems utterly random and unconstructive. Uh, you know, PhD is an impressive thing. I don't have one. But in what? You know, There's lots of people who do have them uh, yeah. who are worse than useless and they may well be homegrown. And they go, well, I'm a doctor. And you go, well, great, well done. Thank you very much. Precisely. So this new system says you can have a PhD in anything yeah. and you'll get an extra 10 points. Right. I mean, I just think that's utterly <laughs> random. So what? You know, some clever people do it, but some people that just sit there for five years that don't want to get a proper job yeah. also do that. Also, one of the things I'm looking at here, details, visitors, including EU citizens, will be able to come to the UK without a visa for six months, but will not be allowed to work. Well, so, what's the point of that? You know, so what, you can come here for six months and you won't be kicked out. Yeah, I think this is, to some way, an exercise in trying to win the argument yeah. more than That's it is. That's what I worry about, that it's window dressing more than it is anything. Exactly. And also, if it comes in by the start of 2021, then maybe the full effects of it won't be evident by another general election. No. And they can kind of eke through this situation without properly solving yeah. it. Yeah, because, I mean, once the Labour Party finally acknowledged, actually, that they did encourage people to come mm -hmm. to this country, you know, under um, the, the, the Blair-Brown government, you know, that's one thing. But for the Tories, which has been disingenuous, I think, for quite some time, to say we've been 
controlling immigration when they clearly haven't been. Mm. You know, this seems to me uh, to play up against that record that they're not going to control it this way either. It's, it's the dishonesty of all of it. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that has really vexed the discussion about immigration mm. and made it so much more of a kind of inflamed issue than it needed to be. Right. Because first of all, you had Labour opening up the borders without ever asking anyone if that's what they wanted. And then you had years of the Conservative government saying tens of thousands, tens of thousands, we're going to get it down to the tens of thousands whilst it was going up. And I think this has really um, made the issue far more tense than it needed mm. to be, made the conversation often very dishonest. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Let's talk about the budget because it was confirmed yesterday uh, that Rishi Sunak will in fact have a budget on the 11th of March. This would have been, of course, Sajid Javid's budget, uh, but he's now going to be in charge because Sajid Javid felt uh, that he could not continue in the role after he was offered um, something that he couldn't possibly take up, which was basically uh, to come under the control of Dominic Cummings and Number 10 Downing Street uh, rather than running Number 11 on his own. But let's talk to Peter Dowd, Labour's Shadow Chief Secretary to the Treasury, uh, to find out whether he's expecting any surprise. Prizes. Peter, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Um, probably uh, as, as much as anybody else was, you guys may have been quite surprised that Sajid Javid is no more, that he walked away from the, uh, uh, the top job in the Treasury uh, because he felt that he couldn't really um, sack loads and loads of his special advisers. Um, what do you know about Rishi Sunak and, and what do you think of his capabilities? Well, uh Rishi Sunak hasn't been in Parliament for very long. I suspect he's under house arrest in 11 Downing Street now, isn't he? Um, in relation to his position. So he's there. He's got his former boss's job. And it's on the terms set absolutely and categorically by the Prime Minister. So it's difficult, and Dominic Cummings. So it's difficult to, it's difficult to assess. But um, he'll just, in effect, do as he's, he's told. That's why he got the job. And so, I mean, he's basically going to be at the beck and call, to be fair, of, of Boris Johnson, who wants to spend a lot of money. But, of course, you guys wanted to spend even more money if you'd got in. Well, the interesting thing about the, um, the issue about our expenditure, I mean, there are, for all intents and purposes, two types of expenditure, kept current, stroke revenue expenditure, day-to-day expenditure, and capital expenditure. And you've got to spend the money, raise it in the appropriate way, which we set out we do, but spend it in the appropriate way. And at the moment, what the government are doing is fashioning the cash out in relation to some, if you want, capital projects, infrastructure projects, and, um, and in terms of revenue, cutting back on quite significant portions of <coughs> revenue day-to-day expenditure in places like local government. So you've got the bizarre scenario of, yes, they're going to spend money on bigger capital investment projects, which is fine, some roads, etc. Okay, but in terms, ninety-seven percent of our roads are local roads, and they're being cut back on. That's why we've got basically a what nine billion pounds backlog in sorting potholes out on local roads. So it's all very well, in a sense, spending money on this and that, but is it in the right places? Well, Rob, the right Shropshire, Shropshire, right Shropshire Council have just spent one hundred seventy-five thousand pounds fixing uh, potholes, so they're obviously not short of the odd uh, bob or two. Yes, but when you put it in the context, if you went and asked Shropshire Council actually how much backlog they actually have, I suspect, I suspect, unless they're the exception to the rule, it'd be a lot more than £107,000 to repair potholes. But there's billions and billions of pounds worth of backlog. Well, that may well be true, but I mean, what I'm saying is, is they're spending the money on it. It's 175,000 they've spent. It's just in the last few months. But I mean, the difficulty for you guys is that you know you're you're in favour of HS2, presumably. You're not against the expansion of the bus routes of of this country. So it's hard for you to sort of argue against the Tory government doing that, isn't it? 
it's not a question of arguing against them doing it. It's a question of saying that, frankly, they're coming here a little bit late. So, for example, uh, they've changed their what their fiscal rules again. So here, two, four. Well, they've changed them eight times, I think. But of course, they were lecturing everybody about fiscal rules, about how you couldn't spend this and you couldn't spend that. Of course, as soon as it suits the Tories, they just brush aside that rule, introduce another one. When that rule doesn't work, they brush that one aside. Lecture everybody, brush it aside, lecture, brush. And that's their pattern. So it's not a question of them not, if you want, raising the money or spending the money. It's a question of how they spend it and how they focus it. So, for example, we're talking today about skill shortages in social care. What have the Tories done? Cut back 30% in further education funding, where, surprise, surprise, that's where a lot of our social care training budget is. So they're all over the place. So they say one thing and do another. That's the problem with the Tories. Have you had a chance to look at their immigration uh, plans for uh, today? We've just spoken to Priti Patel about that. Um, she would tell you, I dare say, and I'm not speaking for her, uh, that these, the social care problems might be assuaged to some extent uh, by some more people coming in from uh, elsewhere around the world to come and work in the business. Well, again, it's a little bit contradictory, isn't it? On the one hand, telling us that they're trying to get the numbers down, but in the next breath telling us that people are going to be coming in. And this is it. It's a mess. It's the same with the issue in relation to farm workers, temporary, you know, fruit pickers, 10,000 a year. Now, they told us that uh, we had enough people to do it. These people should work in the fruit industry. We're now being told that there's going to be this exception and exemption for fruit pickers, and there'll be an exception for social care workers. At the point at the end of the day, their proposals are just a mess. So, as I said, it's all right here saying, will we bring people in to do this, that and the other, which, okay. But the issue is a substantive investment in our own training provision and making sure people are paid well. Would you do a job in social care where you're working long hours, you're getting less pay, you're getting fewer holidays, you're not getting the training you need? No wonder there's a shortage in social care Mm. because... Because people aren't treated properly. There's no career progress, no career pathway. That's the sort of things we've got to sort out. And just basically saying, well, we're going to have more people coming in to help out. Well, fine, but it's not going to solve the underlying fundamental problem. No, I mean, the whole business of social care needs to be, need, needs to be sort of over, overhauled anyway, as, as, as many people have said. And I think you guys have said it as well. But the difficulty, I suppose, as I say, Peter, for you, when you get up to make your uh, rebuttal speech in the House of Commons uh, on the 11th of March, after the Chancellor's made his uh, budget available to everybody, is... Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.